Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Network. We are helping people discover their talent altitude. On this pod, listeners can learn about leadership and other related attributes from former and current successful business people, coaches, and athletes. Each episode will bring you a conversation with people that display the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. Someone who possesses those seven pillars has courage, drive and accountability, integrity, grit, great communication skills, a high level of emotional intelligence, and they can motivate others. We will also talk with individuals that use their athletic and competitive experiences to lead in life, in business, community, or in their family. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. If you have time, please take a minute and on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and review. Today's guest on the podcast is Kayla Smith. Kayla is a graduate of the University of California, Santa Barbara, where she competed on the track and field team and was also a team captain. After graduation, Kayla went on to work at UC Santa Barbara before moving on to Tennessee University, where she became the director of student athlete development. She continued working at the university in the athletics department for almost five years before more recently starting her own firm, a professional development and career coach company called Coached by Kayla. Kayla's knowledge and her professionalism and her enthusiasm for the work she does really stands out throughout the course of this conversation. You're really going to enjoy it. So let's sit back, relax, get comfortable, and let's jam to Are You Gonna Be My Girl? Because you look so fine that I really want to make you mine. Okay, everyone, welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, I have Kayla Smith on the line with me. Kayla, thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks, Colin, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. We're excited to have you, and we want to get right into things because there's a lot, as we do with all our guests, to get through, especially with you today. And I want to give you first an opportunity to tell the listener audience, who are you? Awesome. Well, to start, my name is Kayla Smith, as you've mentioned, and I have recently launched my own professional development and career coaching business called Coached by Kayla. I am a Southern California native who went to school at UC Santa Barbara and competed in the sport of track and field, and then have most recently spent the last 10 years working in college athletics on college campuses in the area of student-athlete development. But I've also branched out and done some other things that I'm sure we'll talk about. Yes, we definitely will get to them. But first, I want to start pretty simply. What's life like growing up in Southern California? I loved my childhood, and I now reside in Nashville, Tennessee, although with the work I do, I help people anywhere um, around the world. So I grew up in Southern California. I enjoyed going to the beach as well as going to the mountains. As they say, it never rains in Southern California. So when (laughs) I moved 
from there to here, I didn't even own an umbrella or a coat and had to adjust in that way. Um, but my childhood was awesome. I grew up in a house full of children and a loving family, not huge in numbers. So I can run actually, or take a walk from my grandparents' house to the house I grew up in to my aunt and uncle's house. And that's the extent of it. So I enjoyed being around them all the time, um, but also enjoyed where that upbringing has taken me, which is not only to Santa Barbara, California and Nashville, Tennessee, but truly around the world. A lot of people, I mean, California has seen as kind of a, a dream scenario where you can live and enjoy the beach and just live this fabulous lifestyle that a lot of us don't get to experience at one point or another. So it's just really interesting to me, the people that are born there are raised there, live there at one point and leave. My parents are a couple of those people. They, right before they had me, they left California. They had been there for a handful of years and came back to the East coast. It's just a totally different lifestyle. You mentioned obviously the <laughs> weather being different, but uh, I'd just be curious from your perspective. And I know this is totally out of left field, but some of the differences between lifestyles and the way that you go about things between California and where you are now in Nashville. And if that was difficult to adjust to once you, cause you came over to the East coast or to Midwest, whatever you consider Nashville for work. So was that like a difficult transition just having grown up and even spending your college years in California? I think every transition has its highs and its lows. I was living in Santa Barbara, California, and was relocating to Knoxville, Tennessee. So East Tennessee, initially, I moved with what could fit in my car. So I have a Toyota Camry, and I sold all of my furniture or donated it to people who could use it in the local area and fit only the things that I really, truly needed um, because I didn't know where I was going to live. I didn't know anyone. So I wasn't necessarily crashing at a family member's home where I could have space and kind of lay out. And so first, what I realized was, what do I value? And material things are not the treasures for me of this world. And with that transition, I moved, I found a place to live, but I live a really simple life. And so um, I bought just enough furniture for me and um, found a place to live that was comfortable, but nothing extraordinary. So some of the differences are in the mindset. I think that I maybe had or know of some people who have living in Southern California or other cities that are highly populated where it's a go, go, go. You call people when you're in traffic on your way home from work. All of that transition for me when I moved to East Tennessee, because one, I didn't know anyone. So I would go to work and work really hard and work long hours. And then when I went home, it was just me and in that little sanctuary. So I had to learn how to be by myself and be okay with that. So that's one piece. There are also different transitions, like finding a nail salon and then discovering that it actually costs more money to get your nails done in Tennessee than it does in Southern California. <laughs> so when people say, oh my gosh, I bet everything's cheaper. That's not the case, but uh, you learn those things. And so I had to adjust to putting 
produce in the refrigerator, whereas I wasn't as accustomed to that living in Southern California. Obviously, the weather's much different here in Tennessee, and so most produce is shipped here from neighboring states, um, or sometimes it's from quite a distance, where in Santa Barbara, we had the Lemon Festival and the Strawberry Festival and the Avocado Festival. Uh, In East Tennessee, we had the Biscuit Festival, and uh, there's a big difference between those different ones. So uh, life is very different, although navigating transitions is something that I have done in a couple different settings. And now I'm able to help people do partially because I've done it so much and then supported my friends and family in their transitions. And also because I'm passionate about making sure that everyone is able to really get acclimated and in different settings, regardless of whether that's in their personal life or professionally. Yeah, that's really cool. And I want to come back to that point a little later in our conversation, because I think there's some more interesting things that we can pull from that. But I took us off course, and I want to jump back a little bit to get a little more background into your experiences and how you got to this point in your life. And you mentioned being a track and field athlete and competing up and through the collegiate level. Talk to us a little bit more just about your overall athletic experiences growing up, new sports through college, what that was like. Well, growing up, I competed in a variety of different sports. I think that's one thing that I would tell other parents, do myself as a parent one day, Um, but try any sport. I played one season of soccer and found out that is not my jam and that's okay. I also did gymnastics and I did different types of dance for quite a few years. I've played tennis. I played softball. I've played basketball. So I've done a lot of different things and played those through high school and competed in those, but really found track and field, which is what I most commonly am known as as a track and field student athlete. Although it's probably the sport I've done for the least amount of time outside of that one season of soccer. So I competed in different sports, loved them all. My junior year of high school, my mom had been telling me that I should go out and compete in track and field during the spring season. And I didn't want to. I was really into basketball. That was my primary sport at the time. But one season I decided I'm going to do it, but I'm going to become a thrower. And it's what my mom had been talking about. I have long arms. I have a good uh, base under me and some natural strength. And she thought that would be a great fit for me. So I did. And I turned out to be pretty decent. I thought it was just a season. I was just going to do it in the spring and then go right back to basketball. But with the success I had after that first season, it became really apparent that I could go to the next level and compete in the sport of track and field. So without having throwing shoes, without having a coach um, outside of the one at the high school, I competed all the way through state and did nothing in the offseason track and field related because I was a basketball player. And the last year of high school, I competed in basketball, did really well. And then I started track and field again and um, ultimately went to UC Santa Barbara on a athletic scholarship. And I also think it's important to note most times when we say that there's an assumption that's a full scholarship, which was not the case, but it was a great school for me to learn, develop. Um, I Education is really important to me as well. So I wanted to go to school, a great reputation, and UC Santa Barbara is consistently in the top 10 uh, rankings for public schools right now. It's number five which I'm really proud of the education that I have from there. And I have two degrees from that institution. So I went to school 
compete in track and field, but was more than just a student athlete. And I think that's another thing to touch on there for those who are listening who are student athletes and maybe you're a coach or an administrator and wanting to be that. That is your number one. I think it can be, but you can have multiple identities. So I was involved on campus. I was involved in hall councils when I was living in the residence halls. And ultimately, all of the experiences I had from youth sports all the way through when I competed for four years at UC Santa Barbara prepared me for the work and the roles and the opportunities that I have been afforded since then. So where did that awareness or recognition come from? I mean, obviously, it's easy to look back now and say, hey, all this prepared me for what I'm doing. But in the moment, you know, when you're a 15-year-old kid or when you're a college kid and maybe all you want to do is relax and <laughs> enjoy yourself and things like that. But it seemed like whether it was playing multiple sports when you were younger and then getting involved in extracurricular activities – in college, in addition to your athletics and your academics. I mean, where did that awareness and that recognition come from to drive you to do those things? What I have always been a fan of is options. And I am the child who growing up, if it was dinner time or maybe we were in the store and I was posed with a question, I wanted to know all the facts. So if you give me all the facts, I believe I can make the best decision for me or for the group at that time. And that's just honestly just a part of Kayla and ingrained in me. And so when I got to college, I just did what I wanted, but it's quite strategic about it. And so I needed to make sure that I could maximize my time. And that is something that I learned along the way. I remember hearing it in different settings, whether it be orientation prior to my first term at UC Santa Barbara, or whether it was growing up in our household, but really maximizing the time that we have. Because at the end of the day, we all have the same 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And you might need to get up earlier if you want to get X, Y, and Z done in a day. Um, But we can also work smarter, not harder. So there's little phrases that I use to remind myself of these things. And I think that was really important when I was in college was realizing I can't do it all. I can't be in a student government and be a student athlete and study abroad during the middle, you know, a full year and uh, be on hall council and have a part-time job. While all of those things are awesome and you can learn and have great experiences in each of those, I needed to be really intentional about what I pursued. And so I did And I always seem to apply or express interest in more things or multiple things at once. And so that kept me busy. That kept me really busy. But I was always doing things that I loved. And I realized about halfway through my college experience that I would need to shift my my, um, involvement just slightly because I wanted varied experiences. I was on hall council for the first two years in college, and then I rolled off of that because I became a board member for some of the campus buildings that were funded by student fees, which they typically need students to be on those boards when you're discussing finances and decisions as it pertains to those spaces. So I got different experiences in that way and loved each of them uniquely. As you know, I have background in human resources and especially with recruiting. We've talked about this offline before. And one of the biggest things about the recruiting process that I've tried to 
coach people up on over the years, people that I don't know, people that I do know personally, even my wife, is gathering facts throughout an interview process in order to make an informed decision. And this is one example of many things throughout our lives where if we gather facts before we make a decision, a lot of times we can save ourselves some unnecessary headaches. But I've seen it time and time again in the recruiting process where people just don't want to gather the facts. They get hooked by something that sounds really good and they forget what's actually important to them. And then they end up in a position or with a company that just doesn't really fit their skill set or doesn't fit what their cultural needs are. When you said earlier in the conversation that you're a person that likes to gather facts, I'd love to understand and learn how your process is for gathering facts. Like maybe you have a specific example that you can share with us to say like, okay, this is the scenario. This is how I went about it. Or maybe you just have a general approach towards everything. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? I can. I think when I'm presented with an opportunity or looking into one, what I really focus on is what is the experience um, and what does it require? And then how does that affect me? I'll give an example from when I was in college. So often I'm in a class or someone else is in a class and you tell your friends, oh my gosh, this class is great. you got to take it next semester or next quarter. I would always ask in return, what made it so great? Because here's the deal. I can write a paper in no time and I'm really good at it. That's one of my strengths, but I have to study for tests and that preparation is something that I'm really intentional about. So for me, taking a full course load of classes that was just a midterm final would have never worked. I needed a balance of classes that relied on papers, classes that relied on maybe there was an experience piece to it, and tests, and hopefully some sort of in-class participation or write-ups. Those were the classes that I really, really, really excelled at. So as it pertains to the options and finding information, that's an example of how it would have been really easy to say, great, I'll take psych 200 next semester. But instead, me asking what made it so great, my friend may have said, it's just a midterm and a final. And I would have said, okay, and then thought about it a little bit more versus if they would have said, it is a class where you know you go on um, some sort of outside classroom activity and you have short write-ups and there's one textbook, not five, so you don't have to search for all of the information because at the end of the day, I want to do the best that I can regardless of what it is. So what is the experience or what is the opportunity and then how does that affect me? I love it. That is very practical, very high on the self-awareness scale as well. And I think that's a great example of where when you say gather facts and for you, that was you knew what type of person you were for your studies and for what was going to work for your schooling. And you said, hey, if it's not here, then I'm not taking it. And there are so many things in life, like I said earlier, that you can apply that to. And it really just takes asking questions, not being afraid to ask questions, even if they make you uncomfortable and getting that information, because you'd rather have that information on the front end, right? Like you don't want to find out halfway through that. It's if you found out that class was halfway through that midterm exam and in a final and you're like, crap, like now I have to 
put in all this extra effort, you know, that's just not worth it to me. And I think that's a really unique skill set to have in just something, especially even being in college and being able to recognize that. But now in the adult world, in the business world, being able to apply that to everything that you do, I think is a really unique skill set to have. Talk to me a little bit about played basketball, played track and field, played multiple sports soccer. Obviously, all these sports are different and you learn different lessons and you get different experiences. Can you talk to me about maybe some of the key lessons that you learned through athletic competition? I can. And it's interesting because I competed in team sports, but track and field is a hybrid of an individual sport and a team sport combined. And so I think the lessons that I learned from the team sport aspects are that it really does take everyone because the one point I scored as a freshman in college helped our team score, even though it could have been seen as a poor performance or it could have been seen as a great performance. Maybe I threw a personal best and got that snag, that one point from another team who could have used it, um, but instead it went toward mine. So I think that everyone matters and, and has a should have a seat at the table. I think also in the team sport aspect, I've learned how everyone brings different personalities, communication styles, and ways of thinking to a situation. So as a thrower, there were a group of throwers and we would practice together, um, even though I'm getting better and my throw will be directly, my mark will be directly marked and correlated to a score how we practice and how we communicate and how we share ideas for technique, again, it matters. And so bringing my best self, which is uh, positive and encouraging and thoughtful, Kayla, is really important. I think on the individual side of sports, what I uh, have most often taken away and use is that anything is, is possible and I control my own destiny. And so as an entrepreneur and someone who helps others, that's one of the things that I talk about is that anything is possible and we can do what we put our mind to. It sounds a little cliche, shall we say, because parents often say those things as well. But it is true. And I know that because I'm living it and I'm walking it. So the things that translate are some of the skill sets. And when people say, oh, student athletes are hardworking, I believe that to be true. I also uh, believe that it is mostly true in the form of a student athlete knowing how to sweat, not necessarily how to apply their mind and mental capacity for nine hours a day into the specific role that they have in an office setting. So there's a little bit of transition that happens there from sport to maybe a professional role. But at the end of the day, teamwork does make the dream work. I think we need to lift as we rise. And that happens in sport as well. Uh, In the physical sense, in basketball, someone falls or you cause a charge. And as a teammate, you run over and you physically help that person up. And we need to do more of that in life. And we need to do more of that in our professions instead of what sometimes happens in professional settings or in corporate offices is the person who maybe is not having the best of day or not understanding the task. We want them to do better, but we're not willing to help in that process. Yeah, it's amazing. Some of the differences between athletic teams and teams that you see in the corporate world, for example, but it's also 
really amazing the similarities when you're playing basketball and you think about the team activities that you do in the corporate setting where you're brainstorming together and you have to almost kind of methodically move up the court like you do and find that open person. You got to find that person who's going to come up with that really innovative idea. And then in the track and field aspect, like you mentioned, it's a little bit more of an individual, but team sport. And that's almost compare it to an individual contributor within a company doing their own work, but contributing to the bigger picture of everything. So your journey takes you after sports and after Santa Barbara takes you right into staying in athletics and working with student athletes. Can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to stay close to home, if you will? I can. And this is a story that goes a little bit off the path and then comes right back um, to what you just mentioned. So I competed at UC Santa Barbara for four years and chose to take a fifth year um, and that was my conscious decision to not only add a major and do a couple special things on the education side, but I also wanted more experiences as an undergraduate college student. And there's really no other way to put it. I wanted to do more. And so I found a way to do that. So I was on campus the fall of my, of my fifth year, and I did an internship in the athletics department. It was purely out of need. They were um, short staffs, but had the ability to hire on someone. So it was a paid internship. And I was doing a lot of um, administrative work. And it was in our student services area. So compliance, um, academics, and student services as a branch of maybe like student athlete development per se. And so I did that. And then in the spring, I was fortunate enough to do a study abroad program called Semester at Sea. And so I sailed around the world by ship with other college students from around the world. And that was an unbelievable experience that taught me and showed me truly how small the world is, um, yet it's it's big. And um, we were able to kind of country hop. So every couple of days we were in a new country and we explored and we traveled and we learned and we grew individually and collectively. So when I came back, I didn't know what I was going to do. That was my last term as an undergraduate student. I had my degree in hand. I was able to go back to the athletics department for about a month to finish up my internship. And basically, I had just reached out to them and said, hi, I'm coming back into the country. I'd love to help you finish out the academic year. And they said, great, that would be awesome. I did. And in that time, a position had become available. And so I applied for a position that was really in compliance. And I thought I knew a good base of what I needed. And I interviewed for the role. I got it. And when I started is when I realized they took a chance on me because I do not know what I'm doing. And compliance is an area where you need to know what you're doing because it either is permissible or it isn't. And there are gray areas that coaches find and they come to you and say, okay, fine. Can I do this? Okay, fine. Can I do that? And ultimately I think that's part of what led to me transitioning into student athlete development. Um, but it was also my passion for working with students outside of the classroom and off the field, pool, what have you, of play to better enhance and improve the skill sets that student-athletes have and also prepare them for a successful future. 
30 second break to talk about my sponsor, Sweat with Scott. What a great sponsor she is. She's been with Pod since day one, and we love having her support. Sweat with Stods offers a number of different options to get you on a path to improve your fitness future. Everything from fitness, nutrition, and simple healthy habits. So what are you waiting for? Head over to sweatwithstods.com right now, and when you buy a program, enter the code DYNAMIC at checkout to receive a discount for being a loyal podcast listener. Now back to the show. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit more about that. When we talk about student-athlete development, what should we be focusing on? Somebody like yourself who's spent a handful of years in athletic departments and with different universities, it can mean so many different things. And is there a focus? Like, are there three things that we should really be concerning ourselves with when it comes to student-athlete development? Is it things that pertain to them while they're in college? Is it things that are going to affect them outside of college? How do we start to figure out what this all actually means? That's a good question. And I will say that even um, at the national level, as far as the NCAA leadership development um, segment and that portion of um, the NCAA is is concerned, uh, from that point, moving down to the institutional level, there are so many different names for student-athlete development. You have life skills, student-athlete development, student-athlete enhancement, student-athlete engagement, and a couple others that are out there as some additional working titles. I think there are three main areas in that specific field that most programs and athletics departments are working to improve, um, if not infuse into what they're doing and how they're supporting student-athletes. The first would be community outreach. Colleges rely on, or say athletics departments and teams rely on fans because no one wants to compete in front of an empty stadium. And so for student athletes, having the opportunity to give back means a lot to them oftentimes and to those who are supporting them. And at the end of the day, there are kids and youth and young professionals and even adults who look up to the student athletes who are competing in their sport for a variety of different reasons. And some of it is for the contributions to the community. So that's a great way that the university, the athletics department and the community can align. And that falls under the student athlete development branch. Another would be in leadership development. Nowadays, uh, specifically in college athletics, it is pretty popular, I would say, to either be developing or to have a leadership program. And it's not necessarily captains. I think going back a few years or what we might think of when we say a, a leadership program is, okay, how are you developing your captains? But really thinking about who are the people, who are your student athletes, who are the people on these teams that can better understand what it means to be a leader. And part of that is recognize that you can lead regardless of where you are and what your position is. Um, another part of it is understanding what your personal values are and how you can infuse that into your leadership. And then also this notion and concept of being a servant leader. And so taking your service and leading through that and vice versa. So without digging too deep, that's really another area that you'll see is improving as far as the number of leadership programs that are out there, but also how athletics departments and staff are working with students so that they can be successful in the workplace. Because as we know, there are 
skill sets that you need, whether you're an entrepreneur or working in more of a traditional setting, but a lot of it is based on leadership skills. And so the third big area within student athlete development is going to be career development. It's something that almost every recruit asks about or their parents ask about and an area that is on the rise within student athlete development. And that's really where my passion is. And I believe it's my purpose to help individuals advance their careers, negotiate higher salaries, prepare better professional documents, learn how to engage in networking and dining etiquette so that you can shine brighter than the rest and get the job that earn the job really that you deserve. Beautiful. I love that we have a focus. Now you broke those down into three really great things. Now my Next question in relation to the community, to the leadership, and to the career development. Say you're out of school, big school, small school. I don't know that it matters so much. You can probably tell me better. But if these are the three focuses that maybe an athletic director in the athletic department should be focusing on, let's say, how do we go about starting to implement them if they're not already a part of it? Like, where would you start? Like, say you don't have any of these three things, which one would you pick first to try and implement? Like, which one do you think has the most impact directly or immediately for the student athletes? Well, each of those areas, you can start at any time. So when I was at UC Santa Barbara, we didn't have a formal curriculum or or a four-year plan. But what I did was started with our incoming first years. Regardless of if you were a transfer or if you were a freshman coming out of high school, you started in our program called Gaucho Guide. And it's where I give you a sampling of all three of those. And it was a program that we piloted in the summer and then expanded to those who came as fall enrollees. And I think that's a good model because it's not too overwhelming and it allows others to get involved. So in a program like that, I was able to explain how we do community outreach. At the time, it was something that student athletes could do on their own and log their hours through a system. And that's pretty common at most institutions is there's some form of tracking for community service. Um, I was also able to explain the fundamentals of leadership and what we expected out of student athletes. So they knew because I firmly believe that we should set expectations and communicate them and folks will rise to the occasion. And when you don't, I can say, we talked about this. You didn't meet that. Now we need to discuss what happens next. And it might be something that we can remediate and it might be something that we can't. And then the third area of career development is something that should start from day one. And that's resume creation. That's talking about what do we value? It's talking about where do we want to go? And then it's making a plan for how we're going to get there. So I think you can start all three in a program like that that doesn't necessarily require a full year of planning. But I also want to say that people like myself who work in the area of professional development and career coaching are able to do great services for athletics departments and for organizations by coming in and giving dynamic presentations that will help in the moment. And the the key piece for me when I started Coach by Kayla is also allowing uh, for individuals to receive help beyond that initial presentation, beyond that workshop where they got their answers in that moment and then I walk away. 
but allowing for a community of people online to get together and support each other where I am there as well to provide not only tips, but encouragement and foresight in this area of career and professional development. Last thing on this topic is challenges within athletic departments. Where do you see some of the bigger challenges just from your experiences? And what do you think are some of the solutions in the future that we can do to alleviate these pain points? Well, I think specifically in student athlete development and a whole bunch of other areas, whether it's marketing or communications or academic advising, staffing and funding are going to continue to be two issues um, that we that we come up against. Because even if we get more staff and more funding, we always want to push the envelope to be the best. And so there's a competitive nature when we talk about college athletics and athletics departments that is there inherently. And I think it can be a good thing, but I also think it causes us to work more than or maybe put more pressure on us than we really need to have. Um, Cause at the end of the day, it's about supporting our student athletes. So I enjoyed going to conferences and having colleagues in the business as well because we could get together and discuss some of these challenges um, and those two being the ones that I feel are most often brought up, um, but then also strategize for how to do things differently or better. And oftentimes that was collaborating together. So if I work at one institution and I know a colleague at another institution and we're not far from each other, maybe we use that competitive edge to have a canned food drive where we're supporting the same organization, but in our local communities. Or maybe when one team goes to play another, we're able to promote an event that we are both involved in. Working with others, because then you're making one flyer and you are saving some time in some of the administrative work that goes on behind the scenes. That's a way that you can do it. I think also working with your conference office. The staff at conference offices are there to support each and every institution within that conference. And so pinpointing who your support staff member is, and it might be a team of people, it might be one individual, or rallying to, to have someone at the conference office level who can get together everyone from that conference in marketing or in communications or in student athlete development so you can talk about what you're doing and not having to go online and search high and low to figure out what others are doing. And at the end of the day, sharing is caring and what works at one institution or what their goals are may not be the same for another. So I don't feel like the competition should be as maybe strenuous as it is on the coaching side where you are vying for a person to come compete and be on your team. Uh, at the end of the day, student development, and hopefully within our athletics departments, we want to support our student athletes the best way possible. And if that comes through a conversation or an idea pops up through a conversation that I have with a colleague at another institution, so be it. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking us through somewhat of an inside look into the student-athlete development and what we're talking about with our schools. Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned how the career development piece, if you break it down into those three different sections like you did, was the one that was really near and dear to your heart. And I'm curious to hear now that you've started up Coached by Kayla, what's it like being a full-fledged entrepreneur? 
It is awesome. I love it. I love working with people who want to be helped. These are people who are advancing their careers. Some are scared and not knowing what the next step would be. Some are confused. Some are eager. All of the emotions are there. And what I get to do is talk with you through where it is that you are, where you want to go, and then create a plan for how you're going to get there. And the beauty of this is that I can be where I am and you can be where you are. And I make a joke every once in a while and say, you can be in your car, you can be um, in, in a closet at work, at your current place of work. But at the end of the day, this is what's convenient for you. And that's why I got into this so that I could help more people. And I have experience accepting the role or a position and not negotiating and wishing that I would have. I also have experience negotiating and getting far greater than I even put on my, the top of my list. And a lot of that is just because of the strategies that I've learned and I've taken courses and I've practiced this in real life and helped others achieve great success in these areas as well. So Branching out on my own and starting Coach by Kayla truly came out of a passion that I have to help others. It came out of this purposeful living. And that's what I hope for everyone. We were all about our purposes. And it also came from necessity because I have friends and I have family and I work with people on a daily basis who desire more but aren't sure how to get there. And that's where I step in. So I'm able to do a lot and the services that I provide are something that I, I believe in. And at the end of the day, that's what I think we need more of is people believing in their product. I'm going to preface this by saying that I'm swear I'm not trying to steal your ideas, but I have a true curiosity here. You have obviously a really great background in this type of work. You mentioned how you've done some more professional development, taking courses to better yourself, to understand things, maybe where you had some weaknesses going into starting your own company. You've really developed a foundation and you have the backing of a handful of years of experience to say, hey, come work with me. As you know, relationships are about a lot more than just what your experience is. It's part of the relationship, but it's not everything. I'd love to hear what your process is for developing relationships with potential clients that you have and potential people to help them and just learn more about what that process is like for you and how you go about it. Yeah. So if anyone is interested in working with me, I hear from people in a variety of different ways. One is on my website, which is coachedbykayla.com. There's a let's chat feature that allows people to send in a message. Sometimes the message has a ton of information that gives me background on the person, where they come from, what they want to do, and a list of services that they'd like to start immediately. And other times it's someone saying, I don't know where I need to go, but let's talk about it. Um, I also am pretty active on social media. So Instagram, every once in a while, I'll get a DM or someone comments on one of my posts and asks for more information. That's another great way to reach me. And that is at Coached by Kayla on Instagram. And then the third is email. So another great way to reach me is Coached by K, and that's just the letter K at gmail.com. And likewise, 
I get people who are asking questions and want to know more. So the first step after I hear from someone is to have a call. And it doesn't take longer than 20 minutes, 30 minutes max, because I want to respect everyone's time, including myself. And I just get to learn more about you and who you are and what your experiences are. At the end of the day, what I want to do is recommend services that are are best for you. So I just spoke with a client the other day who I am redoing their resume, but they believe they have a cover letter that's sufficient and it's worked before. And I said, great, use that. If it's not broken, don't fix it. You came to me, I can help you revamp your resume that will complement your cover letter. And if that's what you need to be on your way to a career advancement and a better position, I'm all about it. Your success is my success. So I want everyone to be happy and successful in their own ways. After that initial conversation that we have, what I'm really doing is making an assessment and it's a needs assessment of, again, where are you? What do you desire? And then I can make a plan for how you get there. And some people might start and think that what they need is for me to redo their resume, but I recommend coaching as a way for us to have conversations that will lead them to an industry. And I don't necessarily know what it is ahead of time. Um, But through our conversations and some assessments, we're able to figure these things out and I can advise for where to go. I'm helping another client who's relocating across the country, not only prepare for the job interviews, but also vet companies because they are wanting to make sure that where they land is going to be a good fit. And so it's not necessarily just a transaction, but a transformation that happens through conversation Um, a couple of assessment tools that I use, and then ultimately providing great quality customer service so that you'll return and refer your friends. Very cool. And now that you've been doing this for a little while, I'm curious to know where maybe some of the more difficult challenges lie. Where are people really needing the most help? Like maybe not so much a challenge for you, but where are people in the working world facing challenges that they could use a service for you. So if somebody's listening and they're trying to figure out, hey, what maybe can I come to you for to get some advice or to get some guidance? Do you have a couple like key things that you focus on or is it really just person to person, case by case basis? It's really case by case basis. But what I will say is there are a lot of people who are looking to transition out of their current job and don't necessarily have the title for what that next position is. In some roles, it's easy. You go from a coordinator to an assistant director to a director, and it might be in the same industry. It might be in the same office. And as those positions open up, you apply for them. But oftentimes it's not. And so I have in the last week worked with a few clients who are 20 plus years into their working experience and they're realizing I need to make a change. Some of it's lifestyle based. The cost of living in certain parts of the country continues to rise. And as people get older, they realize I want to retire and I don't think I can do it here. And so what does that mean and how can I make that change? So what I do is work with those individuals, not only to figure out what best, what service would be best for them, but really what career, what industry, what are you passionate about? What do you value? Those are the things that we uncover. And some of it changes throughout what 
the initial conversation looks like and where we are two or three coaching calls later. But the goal is for people to understand what they value. And my personal and professional values are very similar, but my top five things are not the same. And that's okay. They're all in the same bucket and they go together and blend really nicely. But in my professional life, I desire autonomy and flexibility. Whereas in my personal life, autonomy isn't necessarily the top five thing that I look for in different things that I do. So there are some changes in that. At the end of the day, these transitions are happening and we can't avoid them because life is full of transitions. But what I can do is ease the burden of taking that on yourself. And so in our conversations and in our calls, one of the things that I love doing is experiencing the aha moment when someone figures out, yes, that's what I need to be doing. Or it's, I can negotiate. I am going in for my performance evaluation and I'm going to get top dollar because I'm tired of being overqualified and underpaid, which happens after a while if anyone stays in the same position for long enough. Absolutely. That's really awesome. Definitely seems like you have a lot of opportunities to help people. And I know that excites you and there's going to be a lot of opportunity for you to impact people in a very positive way moving forward. So definitely wish you the best and definitely want people to reach out to you if they do have a need for this, because as you mentioned earlier in the conversation, and I just want to reiterate, you don't have to be in the Nashville area to work with you. You can do things via phone, via Skype. Technology is a great thing for doing some of these type of things. So who's ever listening, definitely Kayla's a great resource for one of these things that may be on your list to get covered. But I want to move us into more of just the learning and development portion of our conversation and talk about the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. We talk about them all the time. And for our purposes today, you wanted to focus on the first pillar of dynamic leadership, which is courage. Can you tell us a little bit more about why courage stands out to you? Courage stands out to me because in the last two years of um, creating a business plan and developing what is now coached by Kayla, I have had to remind myself that I am brave, I have courage, and I can do this. And I say those as I statements because I believe they're empowering and provide empowerment for myself, Um, but I don't want to make it seem like I did all of this literally by myself. There are people (laughs) who have encouraged and supported me along the way. Um, So they are in this equation as well. But courage specifically can be doing something that frightens you. It can be stepping into new territory. It can be going against the grain and it manifests and looks different for everyone. Courage can be an action. Courage can also be a feeling and courage, having courage can be a thought. And so when we think about courage, some of the things that I have been thinking about is that courage relies on me and requires that I believe in myself. So courage requires that you believe in yourself. Courage requires that you know your values. And what do you stand for? Are you being asked to do things that compromise integrity, which is another one of these pillars? 
courage requires us to be passionate and I would add purposeful. And that's something that I believe um, as a part of the work that I do. Not only am I passionate about career development, but I'm also purposeful and intentional when I go about it. So when we're thinking of courage, you do need to be passionate and you do need to be purposeful and have purpose, which we all have purpose. We just may not know exactly what it is. It also requires us to challenge ourselves and others. And so for me, when I started talking out loud about Coached by Kayla and what it would mean for my life and those around me, I had people who questioned what I was doing. And it wasn't necessarily questioning in a bad way, but it was questioning in, um, have you thought about all angles and all sides of this picture yet? And it felt like questioning. And at the end of the day, I know that it's not only courage, that's one big big piece of this. But I think recognizing that we're going to be challenged is something that we should pay attention to when we think of courage. I also want to note that courage might require us to move for a better opportunity. So now we're getting into more of the career development pieces. Um, For me, that was moving from California to Tennessee without knowing anyone. And people say, wow, that's really far. I can't believe you did that. Or what are the differences in living in Southern California versus East Tennessee and now Middle Tennessee? Um, But there was definitely some courage walk that happened in that. It also requires us to, uh, it could require us to negotiate a higher salary. I mentioned that earlier. You've got to be pretty brave. And I've been the person who was afraid to do that. But fear is no way to walk. I don't want fear to stop us from having courage um, because that's not great either. Fear makes us more alert. We can use fear for action. And I think the opposite of that might be that courage piece. So we're fearing fearful. Remind yourself that you have courage and you can be courageous. Um, Another piece of that is that being courageous and having courage might require that we call someone for help. And that's in any area of our life. Whether it's um, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, um, it might be professionally, personally, all these different areas, it might require us to call for help. And taking that first step means a lot. And in my conversations with the clients who I'm able to support as it pertains to their professional development, a lot of times I gain from those conversations as well. So you can be someone who's asking for help or calling someone for help, taking that step and and walking in a courageous manner and not only get the help that you need, but encouraging and supporting someone along the way. One of my last points is really that courage encourages others. And I've heard it in my personal life and my professional life throughout the last year as I embark on this journey and support others in their professional development. I hear it all the time. People like, oh my gosh, you're so courageous. And I remember the people who I watched launch businesses and I watched take their professional development to the next level. And I looked up to them, whether I said it or not. So sometimes we don't know the impact that we're having on others, but I often think about what story can I write in two years? In two years, what will this story look like? And I'm talking about at that point going back two years. Um, And when I look back, I want to be proud and I want to know that I did what I could um, for the betterment of others and that the courage and the faith and the steps that I 
took were a part of my leadership and a part of my growth and a part of my development. I love it. So many great points. And we had talked offline about how important courage is to my pillars of success and leadership and all that it involves. So I really appreciate that thorough breakdown of everything that involves courage and made so many great points, like I said. But the show is called Dynamic Leaders, and you are obviously a dynamic leader yourself. That's why you're on the show, and you showcase that throughout the course of the conversation today. But I always like to give my guests an opportunity to shout out somebody who maybe showcases those seven pillars of dynamic leadership, or just was really building influence of leadership in their life. Do you have somebody that you want to shout out quickly? I do. It's a little non-traditional in that I thought for a second um, about dynamic. Well, I, guess I, I guess I could say I have two dynamic leaders, but I thought about this a little non-traditionally. When I first thought of this, I went a little more broad um, and thought, who is a leader that I can learn from? Maybe not someone in my personal life who I'm able to call a mentor. Um, and that person is Nelson Mandela. I just came back from South Africa and have visited three times. Um, now it is one of the places that I love more than others around the world. He, although deceased currently or at this time, but a South African apartheid revolutionary, a political leader, a philanthropist, and former president of South Africa who spent 27 years in prison um, fighting for what he knew was right. Um, he was steadfast in his devotion to democracy, equality, and learning, which are things that I believe in. I think when you look at all of the pillars of dynamic leadership, regardless of his physical location and circumstances, he had all of those. So it's his courage, his drive and accountability, his motivation to others, unwavering integrity, his grit, his clear communication, and a high level of emotional intelligence make him what I would consider a legendary dynamic leader. And if I had to shout out someone who I consider a mentor and have had the pleasure of working with and for at a previous position, it would be a lady by the name of Diane O'Brien. She is um, a mother, she is a wife, she is a colleague, a mentor, and someone who always puts themselves before others, um, was very, very, very encouraging when I first started. And I appreciate her patience with me over the years and her continued guidance. Uh, she has a great way of providing that mentorship that I need and the guidance in what I would consider almost like gentle nudges of you can do this. Have you tried that? Have you thought about something this way? And it always seems to come at the right time. And so I'm thankful for her leadership and guidance over the years and want to shout her out for that. Those are two great shout outs. Somebody that a lot of us know and somebody that it's really close to your heart and you as a person that makes it stand out, obviously, probably a little bit more. So definitely appreciate those shout outs. And I want to just say again, how much I really appreciate you taking time to come on the show today and to talk about your experiences in athletics. And now with your business, it's been a really great conversation for me. I'm going to make sure that I put all of the contact information that you talked about earlier in the conversation into the show notes for our listening audience. But I can't thank you enough for taking some time today, Kayla, to chat. And I think 
we're going to have to put you on that list of people that we're going to bring back on in the future because we definitely didn't get it to everything that I additional questions pop up, but we'll definitely have to catch up somewhere in the future. Great. That sounds awesome. Thanks, Colin. Thank you again to Kayla for hopping on the pod and sharing her story and all of her expertise, especially as it relates to student-athlete development and that experience she had at Santa Barbara and then again at the University of Tennessee. Certainly wish her the best of luck in the future with her own firm, and she's doing a lot of really great things, so I encourage you to check out the links in the show notes to learn more about Kayla and what she's doing. Shout out to my sponsor, Sweat With Stods. Go to www.sweatwithstods.com today to figure out what she can do for your fitness future. And thank you, as always, to the listeners coming back week after week. Really appreciate it. We are back next week with another guest. 